0: is Jenny Allen and you are listening to the Made for This podcast.
1: We want to thank the Dwell app for supporting Made for This. To get started with Dwell, go to dwellapp.io/madeforthis to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for life. 33% off means you save $50. So make sure to visit dwellapp.io slash made for this and commit to scripture for the rest of this year or for life.
0: Jess Connolly is here today. And guys, we're going to talk about body image. And that is something that every time we bring it up on the podcast, there is a really strong reaction and everybody's really grateful. Because it's not something we talk enough about as women. And so Jess, I'm so proud of you for taking this on and tackling this in such a bold and beautiful way because it needs to be talked about. So why don't we start with just your story and what brought you to write a book about this? Mm. Such a good question. So, I mean, I'm, I'm one of the 97%. I
2: I actually think 97% is a really low estimate of the statistic of women that they say struggle with body image in some way, shape or form. And I, like many women, my literal earliest memory is feeling not okay in my body. And I, I don't actually remember someone telling me that my body wasn't good or that it wasn't okay, but as early as I could perceive myself and my worth and my value, I had concern (laughs) this. These are big words for how I felt as a really young kid, but I remember like feeling concerned and feeling not Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I felt that way throughout my whole adolescence, you know, as we, as we do, as is unfortunately really normal and normative for, for most women, I, I struggled with comparison and measuring up and was I okay. And, and all of those parts of growing up as it is. And then I met Jesus when I was 15 and I, from the minute I I walked into a relationship with him, everything shifted, you know, the whole like axis of my earth shifted. And I began to see everything so differently. I saw relationship differently and I saw purpose differently. And I saw my, my ability to do things as differently. And, and the trajectory of my life shifted so much, but this thing did not shift Um, It did not naturally come along with all the other parts of new life. And what's more, I think that for the next few years, the, the lack of communication I had about it really led me. To, hear, to believing some pretty broken things in regards to my body and how, how God felt about it. And so all of a sudden, all these issues I'd had of value and worth, now I've started to attribute them to potentially coming from God. He, God doesn't think I'm good because my body's not good. Mm. God is disappointed in me because I haven't taken care of my body, whatever that means. All of these other people who seem to be doing better than me in life, like maybe God loves them more because their bodies seem to be better. And so I I started to believe some really mixed up messages is not only because the enemy is the author of lies and, and, and he would speak those things, but because unfortunately, um, even in, in Christian community, even in Christian culture, we, we kind of have adopted what the world says about this and and co-signed it and put it on God and put it into the kingdom. So, On from 15 to to my late 20s, I just was in a really broken and heavy place constantly. So I could experience freedom in all these other areas of my life and my calling and my motherhood. I I was learning to love the word. I was learning to love the presence of God and the peace of God and the hope of God. And then there sat this really broken part of my life where I, I pretty much believed anything. The world believed that my body was good. If it fit cultural standards and uh, other people liked it and said it was okay. And therefore it was my job to stay within those constraints and and do those things and make those people happy. And I just treated my body like a project continually, something to be fixed, something to tinker with Until I, I, somewhere in my late twenties, I just kind of had it. And I was like, if you're in all of these other areas of my life, if you've made me free from all these other things, why aren't we touching this place? Like, why aren't we going here? And I think for me, like for a lot of women too, also having a daughter, I was like, I just don't, I just don't want to have these conversations with her. I just don't want to see her see me struggle in the same way that I have. I want something better for her. I want something more free for her. And then I started paying attention to culture outside of the church. And I realized like, man, outside of the church, outside of Christianity, they're talking about this and they're saying good things and positive things. And, and some of them sound a little funky and some of them sound a little like not kingdom minded, but they are actually life-giving. So why can't we have these conversations in the church? Why can't we talk about this with women inside Christian culture? And so all of these led me to a lot of questions. If the sun has set me free, am I free indeed? What does that look like? What does that mean? If I would believe that I'm free from shame in every other area of my life, how do I break free from body shame? How do I live free from body shame? And how can I bring other women with me? That's a really long story to say. That's how I wrote the book. (laughs) That's what led me to writing it.
0: Well, I love how you just said this is a better conversation happening in the world because you're right. And- I was surprised when you announced the book you were working on, and I was so happy because this is the story of my life. I walked through an eating disorder in college and coming out of college into my young adulthood. I you know, continued, I would say, struggled with disordered eating, can fall back into that if I'm not careful. That was a category that I only recently learned because I think what the world does is they say, okay... If you struggle with an eating disorder, it will be obvious, you will know it, but the rest of you are fine. And it's like, wait, food, body image, all of that is impacting us moment by moment of every day. All of us, you're saying 97% of us don't feel at home in our bodies or struggle with body image. That should be talked about. That is just a given. I'm so proud of you for taking it on because it's vulnerable. I mean, I would think it is a vulnerable conversation. I always cringe a little whenever i talk about my views of this because i think the lie i've believed is it's shallow and i'm more spiritual than that and i should not be caught up in vanities such as body image but yet 97 percent of people are struggling about it was there any shame even in just jumping in and tackling this topic sure
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to go back to what you said first about like, we have to get over this thing that it makes us feel like it's shallow or vain to talk about it because our bodies are where we experience God right now. They just are. And so it matters how you feel about where you experience God matters. How you feel about where you experience your family and where you run on mission and where you do the things, the holy good things that he's called you to, how you feel about Mm, that matters. And I, I, I'm with you, I, I, I believe that is a lie that the enemy has used in so many of our lives. And I literally just this week on Instagram, I saw another really wise holy person say like, we just need to think about God more and think about our bodies less, but that is really not serving anyone. And when you think about any other big in, injustice issue that we have tackled in our time, because God loves justice, because God loves his kids, we would never say like, let's just don't think about it. We would never say that. We would never say that to our kids. If one of your kids came to you with a gaping wound, we would never say like, sweetie, go take a shower. You know, we'd say like, hey, I hear you. Hold on. Let me help. And I feel like that's God's heart toward us when so many of us are walking around with these massive wounds in regards to our image. So I'll I'll go from there into, did I feel shame about it? Yeah. I have no book I've ever written Uh, have I ever felt like I, I've never felt like I needed permission from my people to write it. I've always felt like God commissions me. That's who's asked me to do this. If a publisher wants to publish it, goodness gracious, that's enough. Uh, This book was different. I had to go to a couple of people in my life and, and, and it always felt less like asking for permission and more just saying, will you continue to check on my heart? Cause I got to stay free here. So I'm going to say some things, you know, that, and then I'm going to need, I'm going to need help in the, in private to stay free, mm-hmm. but I had a really holy moment, honestly, and and I wrote about it in the in the very tail end of the book. I um, had a holy moment with my family, so I ended up writing it, beginning to write the book in the thick of the pandemic, which was really intentional. My editor came to me and she said, "Hey, you know how do you how do you feel like women are feeling about their bodies right now?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Pretty broken." And, and we had always known a body book was somewhere on the table, but she said, how do you, how do you think they're going to feel a year from now? And I was like, pretty broken. So then I was like, let's start writing. <laughs> let's go. Mm. Let's do it right now. But so I knew that I had a really short window to write just, just based on like our lives and things we had going on. And for whatever reason, I, again, I've never done this before, but I, I went to my family. We were a pod in the thick of the pandemic that only saw each other. And so we were sitting on my mom's back porch and I was sitting with my mom and my stepdad and my little sister and my older sister and my brother-in-law and my husband. And for whatever reason, I just was really emotional. I said, guys, I think I'm going to start writing tomorrow. I think this is the book I'm going to write. I'm going to have to stay really honest words about my body and I, I also felt like I needed their permission that I was going to write it fast. I said, I feel like it's going to come out really quickly. And for some reason, that makes me feel insecure that maybe I should have taken more time or I should take 10 years to research this. And all of my family was so important. My brother-in-law got choked up and he's not a super emotional guy. But he got choked up and he was like, hey, this is the story you have been living For 30 Mm. plus years, like you, it's time you have more than our permission. You have our blessing, just go with God. And, and they all encouraged me to not feel like I had to be the expert, but to tell other women's stories. And so we do a lot of that in the book, we brought 10 other women to contribute into the book, to tell their stories from around the country, from different um, facets of their faith different cultures, different sizes, different ability levels. And so we had them weigh in too. And I feel like that helps so much. And in the end, it ended up being less about my story and more just about this this throbbing sentence that I felt like God asked me to keep saying over and over again, which is your body is good.
0: And what does it look like if we believe that? So let's talk about that. Let's dive in. So you know, for some people listening, they've struggled with weight their entire lives. For some people listening, they just have an obsessive thought when they eat carbs. For some people listening, they have a full-on eating disorder. For some people listening, you know, their pants are tight from COVID quarantine and they're just cranky every day. Like, talk to kind of in a- the average woman about what this struggle looks like and how it flushes out for people in your research. Yeah, Absolutely. I think you're right. And that it it is so varied. It is so varied.
2: And it really does take I believe the power of the Holy spirit for us to kind of hear our thoughts, to begin to hear our thoughts, because some of them are so close to us and so familiar that we wouldn't even know that they're negative. We wouldn't even know what it looks like when we are participating with agreeing with consenting to body shame. It's such a widespread part of our culture. Mm. Um, but it's interesting. Somebody was telling me recently, I, I was talking to a friend who went on a mission trip and she was telling me about how pre-pandemic she went to, um, on a mission trip to India and ministered in these different areas where they still have leprosy camps. And so she was telling me about the leprosy camps and what it was like and, and, and what it smelled like and how, what they did and how they helped them. And I was like, hold on, can you just tell me more about leprosy? I was like, leprosy is legit still a thing. Right. And she was like, yeah, it's still a thing. So I was like, why don't we have leprosy? Like, why didn't. Why weren't you? And, you know, especially with the pandemic, I'm like, tell, is it a vaccine? Like what, what is the deal? Like what I want to understand why this is such an issue. And she was like, well, actual leprosy, like the, the problem of it is very easily solved with medicine. There, there is a vaccine. You get the vaccine. You don't get leprosy. It's fine. She said, but the problem is that once you cure the actual leprosy, the virus, then there's all these other injuries that come because it, it deadens their senses. And so then they begin to enter parts of their body. And so all that being said, when she said that, I was like, okay, this is what it's like with body shame. So the actual issue, like the pain point of the enemy of our souls coming to us and saying like, your body is not good. God is not trustworthy. He he does not have good plans for you. You are not good. I believe in Jesus name, that is something that is defeated on the cross of Christ. So I believe through worship, through prayer, through getting in God's word and believing it, we have the anecdote to it. We have it. But because so many of us have been dealing with this for so many different areas of our lives, we now have all these other little injuries that, that like also need attention. And sometimes they need clinical help. So I, I would never tell a woman who is struggling just in the throes of an eating disorder, like, just pray about it. Just pray about it. Just talk to God about it. I would say, like, no, no. I do believe that the power of the cross of Christ is the anecdote to your actual shame, to the pen? But now we have this other injury that we have to deal with, that we have to get help with. And there is hope for that. And so I think it looks like a lot of us examining, so what, where are the injuries and what do they look like in my life? Is it, I say just, but I, I don't mean just because this is big. Is it just that I don't feel free in my body and maybe I just don't enjoy being in my body? So So maybe the anecdote for that is like working on embodiment and experiencing God in your body and paying attention to that and learning to speak life over your body. Is it that you have a a real problem with the way you speak about your body or speak about other people's bodies that maybe you've just co-signed and co-adopted like a language that is not ours? It's not a kingdom language. So that would mean like paying attention to your words, capturing your thoughts Maybe it is that you actually need like genuine clinical help because the, the, the sickness has now spread to your actual body and you're in rhythms and patterns that you need, you need outside help to break those. But all that being said, I don't think any of that negates this truth that our good father is standing in front of us coming toward us in mercy, in love, in kindness and saying like, how are you treating my kid? How are you treating my daughter? What are you, what are you doing to her? I love her. I want good for her. And I think some of us just need to shake our heads and start there and say like, what, what, let's start there. Like, what do we think God thinks about
1: our bodies? Hey guys, have you downloaded the Dwell app yet? The Dwell app is an audio Bible app that Jenny and I use all the time. One of their newer features that is awesome for if you want to memorize a passage of scripture is called the Dwell mode. You can have a verse or a passage repeat itself. It can go slow so you can listen to it closely over and over. And guys, what a better way to go into the summer than to commit to memorizing scripture. And the Dwell app is a tool that we cannot recommend enough and we know you guys will love it so go to dwellapp.io made to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off dwell for life that's dwellapp.io made and you can download the app today
0: let's talk even in your personal life and your story how did you find healing in that storyline what did that really look like for you yeah
2: I think it I think for all of us, I, I I know very few people that aren't gonna need to go back to the sources of some wounds and and really like mm-hmm. maybe even like revisualize, God, where were you in that? So for me, I had to go back to some painful moments. Um, some that were too painful to share in the book, go back to some real moments where a name was spoken over me or something negative was said about my body, or I co-signed on something and I I decided something. Like you, I have a, I have a past with an eating disorder and we don't write about it in the book because I want the book to be really trigger free, but I can remember the exact day that I like first engaged in really disordered behavior. And so I had to like, go back to that day with God and say, where were you in that? What was your position toward me in that What, where was the hope in that moment? What, where was the restoration? And is some of that caught up in right now? And then I had to really start to change my present actions toward my body. So we talk about this in the book, Resting from Striving. I had to go through my life and say, what actions, rhythms, patterns, behaviors are only here because I'm trying to appease someone else or make someone else happy about my body or earn something in my body? Is it like ways that I'm exercising? Is it things that I'm eating? One one of the big ones that was for me that might not be for everybody else. One of the first things when I was writing the book that God was like, stop it, was weighing myself. And I I felt like he was, I I was a gal who weighed myself every single day of my life. If you threw out like October 12th, 1992, I could tell you what I weighed on that day. And I felt like God said like, why don't you hand me that? Why don't we not do that anymore? Why don't you live in a little more freedom in that way? But I had to go through every little thing. And do I only eat these foods because I'm striving or do I eat them as an act of worship? Do I move in this way to make other people happier, to try to make my body acceptable in some way, or do I do it as an act of worship? And and then moving not just into what I did and, and how I experienced God in my rhythms, but a, a big, big, big shift that we can all make in the present was how I talked about my body. And so this for me happened really before I started writing the book, but a a few years ago, God just invited me into a zero tolerance policy about negative talk about my body. I don't critique a picture after I take a group picture. I don't say anything negative in the mirror. I don't use like funny words to describe my body. I don't, I don't use like taglines that we say about our thighs or our arms. I don't do any of that. And when I started watching my mouth and really saying like at the cellular level, I'm going to obey you and, and speak kindly about this thing that you've made. Then my thoughts started to change. All of a sudden I could hear my thoughts so much louder. I could hear my negative thoughts so much louder and I could pay attention to like, where is that coming from? Where is that thought coming from? What do I want to speak back to it? So not only do we go back to the past. And we do see, see a little healing and restoration there. But then we handle the present and what we're actually doing and asking like, is this Romans 12? Is this a spiritual act of worship? Is this pure and proper and true and kind? And then I think we we get to move into the future a little bit and say like, what do we want it to look like for our daughters? What do we want it to look like for the next generation? And I, I know you've probably experienced this having daughters around my age, even a little older is that they're, they are in so many ways, like they're going to have so many more issues to handle that we aren't, but in so many ways, I think they're out for freedom with a vigor Mm -hmm. that our generation and past generations haven't had. And so I felt like I had to answer, like, where do I want to be on this fight? Do I want them to be dragging me to freedom? Or I don't want, do I want to be leading the charge? Yeah. You know, do I want to be in this with them, saying, like, yes, in Jesus' name, let's go? Or do I want to be like, I don't know, girls, like it would just sure be nice if we could also all be the same size or something, you know? So I think we got to think about the future a little bit too and say, what do we want this to look like for generations mm. to
0: come? Do you have hope? Do you feel like this is just something we're destined to struggle with forever as women? Or do you feel like, no, there's a real potential for freedom? Such a good question. That is, That is the question. That is the question.
2: So when I started writing the book, I did something and it, it wasn't like research necessarily. That would be a really serious word for not something serious, but I emailed about 10 friends and I put together a Google survey and I just, I wanted to make sure I wasn't writing in a vacuum of only my experiences before I started to pull in other women. So I just went to 10 friends and I said, kind of just ask you some experiences, some, some like, give me, tell me words that you use to describe your body. Tell me how you feel about it. Tell me how you want to feel about it. And then the last question I asked them was on a scale of one to five, do you think this can change? Like, Mm. do you think it can change for you? Do you think it can change corporately? And I want to say that if they had all said like, nope, (laughs) that I would have kept writing. But I think I needed to hear the the answer to what you just asked. I think I needed to hear that other women had hope. And I I think especially before I started writing, I needed to hear that. I'm thrilled to say, I don't know if I just emailed a bunch of faith-filled friends, but 4.7 was the average answer from one to five. Like, wow. And five was like, yes, I believe God can change this. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. I They were, they weren't, this wasn't random. Like these were rowdy. These were rowdy, ready to go kingdom women. But that being said, this is what I think about hope and revival. The whole last section of the book is about revival. Cause we need to think about what's next. I'm really thrilled because like, number one, the variable is on us. It's not on God. He, he's good. This is what he does. He changes hearts. He changes the world every day. And so. I'm so thankful that the variable is on us. Like, do we want it? Do we want it? And the variable is not on, on him. It's, it's not like, is he strong enough? I mean, he is stronger than any stronghold. And so that encourages me. But I, the more I thought about it, the three cornerstones that I see in revival, true revival, like actual hearts being changed at a personal and corporate level. I see repentance and we are so capable of that. We can do that. And it's fun. Acts 3.19 says that repentance leads to refreshment. So I'm not scared to call an entire generation of women to repentance in regard to body image because I know it's good for us. And I know that when we say like, God, I'm so sorry for how I've treated this body. I'm so sorry for how I've seen this good creation that you've made. I'm so sorry for how I've talked about other people's bodies. I'm so sorry how I've consented to the patterns and the constraints of my culture. I'm sorry. I know that not only do we feel refreshment, but he responds in mercy. It's just what he does over and over and over again. So that's what I see like number one. Number two, this is where it gets a little dicey. The second real big cornerstone I see of revival is desire. So this is where I, I feel like, all right, God, what are you going to do? Are you going are you going to, are you going to stir up a desire in us to be free? Because not only do we need to repent, which is thankfully really enjoyable and refreshing for our souls, but we're going to have to want you and want your freedom more than we want beauty, acceptance, comfort at a worldly level but I trust him in us. I trust the Holy spirit in us. I'm cautiously optimistic (laughs) that we'll taste freedom and want more of it. And I see it happening. I'll tell you that right now. I see it happening. I've been gathering with this group of women online for the last few months, and I see it stirring in them. This thing that says like, I want to be free more than I want to be Fit by the world standards. I want to be free more than I want someone else to say I'm okay. All that being said, for me, I think the last cornerstone that I've noticed in in really life giving revivals, you know, from the Great Awakening to now, is hope. And so, I feel like right now, a big job of mine is to stay hopeful. Is to say, like, these are God's kids, and they hear from the Holy Spirit. And they hear his voice and Lord have mercy. Look at how much our culture's changed in the last year, in the last two years, look at the resilience that's been born up out of the entire world at the same time. Look at the the beauty that's risen up in the midst of a lot of brokenness. And so, but I do think that's such an important question because it's one that I would want every woman to ask, maybe even before she reads the book, maybe even before she reads a page of it is like, do you think God is real? Do you think he can fix this? Do you think he wants to? And do we want to get on board with it?
0: I want to clarify what you mean by this, because people listening right now might be feeling like fix my overeating, fix my obsession about. Yeah. So what I mean is fix your body
2: shame, fix the shame you feel about your body. and. good. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that, and I—I'll say that right now. I think we got to break ties with this idea that spiritual obedience equals worldly abundance. I think spiritual obedience equals spiritual abundance. And this is where I don't mind—I don't mind saying—even this part of my story, if it serves any other woman. I have been breaking free from body shame for the last seven-ish years of my life. I feel like I've been on this journey, and I don't mind telling you, I weigh the exact same that I weighed the day I started. Mm the exact same. I've prayed and I've done cleanses and I've run a marathon
0: and
2: I've been gluten free and I've been not. I've done all of the things and my body has literally stayed the exact same, but my heart is so free and I would not trade the freedom of my actual soul for anything. And, and so I should, I should, I should pause there and say, Also this part of what makes me feel so hopeful is my actual testimony is that I went from hating my body to genuinely loving my body. I mean, I love my body. I love it. I feel so much trust for my body that I did not feel before. I feel God's nearness in my body in ways that I did not before. I feel like I can access parts of myself that i had shut off like desire and even like a need for rest that i had tried to squelch for years. I get to see so much more of his kingdom. I think because I'm just not distrustful of this, this flesh and its needs. So I should have started with that. I'm so hopeful because I love my body and I used to not love my body. And this isn't like a blind, like it's great. I love it. No, like it's, it experiences so much weakness and so much pain. And um, throughout that same seven years, I've been dealing with the same autoimmune disease. I, writing the book came down with the pandemic and all of the issues therein. I'm, I'm going through a, a health battle right now that's got me in doctor's offices every few weeks, like mm. genuinely experiencing weakness in my body, but still just loving it because God made it good. And, and my job is not to make it better, but to treat it like it is good because he made it so.
0: hmm So good, Jess. I want you to pray for that person listening that wants what you just described because what you just described is a whole different way to think about our bodies. And it's so powerful that that scale number is the same and that you have been set free. And I bet you a lot of people just walked away and that is what they're gonna leave with is they think joy's on the other side of a number, a size, appearance, and you just said, no, it's not. That's not where it is. And it's possible right now, right where you are. So pray that over every woman that's listening right now.
2: You got it. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for making our bodies good. Thank you that this is your idea. Um, as with all things, we want to get on board with your ideas. You're wise. You're so kind. You're so smart. You're so loving. You're so good. You're so generous. And so we want to think like you. We want our minds to be transformed. We want our minds to be renewed. And and we want to exchange these lesser desires, these lesser loves, these lesser endeavors and ambitions for kingdom-sized desires, for kingdom-sized ambitions. And so we're just asking, we we can't even do this on our own, but will you just trade out this part of us that wants to be a certain size, that wants to be a certain number, that wants to be a certain acceptable something to someone else? Would you trade out that desire with a desire for true freedom? And, and more than that, would you do that wild thing where you do just give us hope to believe in you, to trust in you, in your capacity to do this work? if your son has set us free, you say that we are free indeed, and we trust you. We trust the good work that you did on the cross. We trust the work of restoration and revival and renewal, and we want to see it in our bodies, in our time, even if nothing physically changes. We want to want your heart more than we want your hand to move in our way. We want spiritual abundance, not just physical abundance. Even if we don't want it. Will you change our desires? Will you change our hearts? Will you trade out these endeavors and ambitions that we've had for so long? Will you help us to heal from the wounds of our past? Will you help us to see really the hope of our future and and for helping other women experience this same freedom? In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation with Jenny and Jess Connolly. You seriously need to check out Jess's new book that just came out called Breaking Free from Body Shame. And y'all, this is a topic we've got to talk about, and I love that Jess speaks about it biblically and with candor, and I know you guys will love the book too. Jess is also doing a breakout at If Lead this coming weekend, August 7th, if you get a basic pass you can watch on saturday with us live or if you get the upgraded bonus pass you can watch her session and a bunch of other awesome ones like jenny's new book on friendship and a couple others all year long so thank you so much for listening today we will see you next time for another episode of the made for this podcast